Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Good morning, and I'm glad we're not in person because I would be motivated today, Christopher, to find a way to get you to slap me. That would be my goal. I want to be slapped like Chris Rock. That wasn't a slap. I mean, that was a punch. I mean, I understand this. Not that Chris and I are going to stage any violence, although we have had violence on the show and it hasn't been staged. It's his giant meat hook. It gets slapped onto my head or my shoulder or my sternum. some fun with the slap heard around the world they're talking about it everywhere how could they everywhere oh my gosh it won't stop in 24 hours i went from being captivated by it to being completely and totally sick of it yeah it's it's overkill at this point it is but it 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 was uh either way crazy still yesterday i have i have come to the conclusion though oh here it wasn't staged I have come to the conclusion. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you mean so okay. so watching it helped actually before having a conspiracy theory, actually watching it and came, came, brought you to that conclusion? <laughs> no, I, I had watched it yesterday. I had watched it. I, I, I just think that it, it wasn't staged. There were many things about it that are fascinating and troubling and – but but I don't think it was staged. Yeah. I don't think it was staged. Right, I, I ultimately agree with you. Good. Chris Rock – isn't nearly so good of an actor that he could sell awkward bewilderment the way that he did exactly if he knew that was coming yeah he would have insisted on having some witty remark afterward that diffused the situation not just kind of wandering around trying to find his next word and being lost and dazed and yeah that and and that wouldn't be a good way to play it if you had scripted it it's no, yeah it, right it, 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 there's a it made everyone feel uncomfortable real right 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 yeah right. yeah it, it, made, it made you feel uncomfortable watching it live i mean me and my wife we were sitting there like you know you, you felt like squirmish almost just like oh my gosh this is uncomfortable for everybody there and then even too you know you see the videos at the commercial break with denzel and samuel L. jackson they're going over there to try to console you know, uh, uh, Will Smith a little bit too. I mean, yes, you just, you line it all up. It, it was real and it's unbelievable. And uh, I don't know if it helps the ratings for the Oscars or not, but it certainly gave it a lot more attention and something to talk about for the last 24 hours. Plenty of criticism of Chris Rock. I don't think the joke was all that funny. I didn't fully realize what his point was yesterday. I mean, it's not a very timely reference no. talking about a movie from 1997 that really didn't resonate with 
the, the culture win any Oscars or anything like that. It was very, very lazy joke by him. And also, to the extent that anyone's aware of Jada Pinkett Smith's medical condition, it is. Yeah, that's it is, where. Stats. Right. Our old friend Stats used to say, when I would contemplate saying something that possibly was mean, the litmus test was, does the funny outweigh the mean? And in this case, it's not even close. I mean, the mean far outweighs the funny because the funny is barely even there. It was a gratuitous, worthless line that that maybe he should have been slapped just because it wasn't funny. Yeah, maybe it, was definitely maybe it wasn't funny. It was definitely below the belt. I'm with you there, like 100%. Definitely below the belt, especially when you take into account like that they're – you know, is an issue there as far as the hair loss. Like, okay, if she shaved her head and was doing that, okay, maybe it's a joke. But, like, this is a real thing. She's talked about it, how it bothers her. So it's kind of just, yeah, it's it's below the belt. And you're like, Chris Rock, where have you have you been under a rock? You're supposed to know these people. How would you not know that? And then, you know, and then came the slap, which also was really weird, too, because you have two different this, – this is where, Mike, like, I ask you, like, Come up with a conspiracy here, all right? They show the joke. They show Will Smith. He's laughing. They go back to Chris Rock. They go back to Will Smith. He's still laughing at the joke. He's still laughing. Then they go to Chris Rock, and all of a sudden you see his face go, uh-oh, like, oh, hey, Will Smith is coming up here. Maybe he's going to do something funny. Like, what what happened with Will Smith? Do you think he just looked at his wife and was like, okay, and flipped a switch? I mean, what happened there? She rolled her eyes at right. it. She wasn't happy no. with it. So he laughed at it at first until he realized that Mrs. Smith was not thrilled. Now, <laughs> I don't think she ordered the code red. Right, right. But he sensed something in that moment that it was time <laughs> there to There he is. Oh, I've joined now, the list. That, and and that is that is a, a special kind of cigarette that Christopher enjoys on Thursdays, <laughs> Fridays, Saturdays, and some Sundays. But I I, I was... Looking around last night, there is some sort of a history there, as I imagined there right. would be. There was a comment made in the 2016 Oscars when right. Chris Rock was hosting. Jada Pinkett Smith boycotted the ceremony, and he made some some uh, joke during the, the during monologue the broadcast right. that I won't repeat here because it's just on the edge of, of good taste, but... And and apparently when he does his little comedy shows throughout the country, he's been saying some things about Jada Pinkett Smith. So so there was a backstory. Yes, there. I had heard as that. I right. suspected. Right. As I suspected, you just don't go from zero to to two fifty based on that one not very funny joke. So there was a history, and it all kind of came out and. Uh, uh, but I, I like now how people are like, what are they going to do to Will Smith? And I want to be like, why are you even wasting your time asking that question? They're going to do absolutely nothing. I mean, what are they, what are they going to do? Like, I, I like how like all oh, there's like, oh, he might face discipline. Like, what are they going to tell him? You can't come to the next Oscar ceremony. I mean, maybe that's what they do. They're not going to take his Oscar away. I mean, we're not going to stop going seeing movie. He's movies. He's in if they're good. So I don't know what they can possibly do. It's not like the NFL and they got like a Hollywood fine system, like illegal going on the stage and slapping a funny comedian. How dare you? You've been fined 20,000. I mean, I, th that's where I, I've gotten a chuckle out of that the last few days. Let me just make one broader comment here, too, that I think is a little unusual. It comes up from time to time. And I'm not saying he should be prosecuted. I'm not saying that this is quote-unquote assault that yeah. requires the expenditure of of resources of the criminal justice system. But I don't understand why, in cases like that, nothing happens at all unless the individual who was slapped wants to press charges. Because we all saw it. Like, even if Chris Rock says, I don't care, it still happened. It still happened. Like, why does the victim have to be the one to say, I want to be an ass here and press charge? It's like, because it what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to say, yes, I want to? I've, I always think that's weird. It puts the victim in an awkward spot where they have to affirmatively say, go get that bastard. Like, sometimes 
When you have the proof and it's right in front of you, you don't need the victim to say, go get that bastard. You have the proof if you want to do something. So I just feel like all too often law enforcement hides behind the victim and puts the victim in a spot where it may make the broader relationship worse because the victim has to say, I press charges. You don't need to when it's captured on video for the world to see. What charges need to be pressed? There's a violation of the law if you want to do something about it. Again, I'm not saying they should. Yeah, I, I just understand think your thought. It's, it's, generally, it's, that concept, it, is, it, yeah. makes the, it makes the victim possibly escalate a bad relationship. And, and uh, you know, why not? Why not, not just put go, the, the burden on law enforcement or the law exa- and just go, you broke the law. Right. Let's not put it on this guy right. and make the situation worse or whatever. Yes, I, I hear you there. It is. I yeah. never really thought about it, but. I think you, you're kind of onto something there for sure. You're you're right. We have the evidence. It broke the law. Uh, I hear you, and I I, I don't want to see Will Smith go to jail. But nonetheless, you're right. It makes sense. It played out in the NFL in 2005 when Albert Hainsworth ripped the helmet off of Andre Garrod and Ooh. stomped on his forehead with a cleat, which clearly was something that if you did out on the street, you would go to jail for. Yeah. And Andre Garrod didn't do anything about it, so the cops didn't do anything about it, and uh, we. We, we may or may not have instigated uh, a lot of phone calls to the local uh, prosecutor to do something about it. Because, I mean, it was blatant. It, it was like Miles Garrett ripping the helmet off of Mason Rudolph and hitting him over the top of the head. That's yeah. the kind of thing. If you do it out on the street, you get in trouble. Or you don't. <laughs> as, as long as you do it doing an awards show, you don't get in trouble for <laughs> apparently, it. Apparently, so, I know. I still think <laughs> next year it would be too obvious, but based upon the level of comedy preparation in which chris rock engaged in making the joke that he made that started all this i fully expect him to walk out next year with a football helmet on if he shows up at the oscars all right that's a way to bring it back to why we're here we're here to talk about football but sometimes there's something everybody's talking about this is one of them yeah ignore because think about it other than football games this is another way to tie it all together other than football games and the things that happen during football games what else is there that gets people talking about the same thing that happened at the same time because everybody's watching the show. Don't tell me anything about it. I haven't seen it yet. It's those moments that happen and go truly viral rarely occur nowadays. No, you're right. Anywhere, but on a football field. You're right. You're right. I mean, well, it's just, it's the, it's still the best form of reality TV watching that or live sports or anything like that. And of course we got live TV the other night, you know, they do their best to script it and put on a good show, but Nothing you can do when, you know, like you said, Chris Rock throws out a lazy joke and one guy gets pissed off and says, now I'm going to, you know, throw a slap in your face there. It, it just, you know, it is. I don't It didn't warrant the slap. That's what it's amazing. I mean, it just it went too far, of course. And it just you wonder if it's going to embolden other people with with comedians as they go forward. If they don't if they say a joke they don't like, will this be like, well, Will did it. So screw it. I'm going to go up there and tell this guy he can't tell the joke either. Hey, that's a good point, too. Yeah. At every little podunk comedy club from coast to coast, now you may have somebody think, well, Will Smith stormed the stage. I'm going to storm the stage. And right. There were questions yesterday about where the hell's security, and those are all very valid points. We're not going to completely peel the onion on all the flaws with this. But, but I will say this as we finally move on. To the extent that I ever have used the term irony properly, it is ironic that the best moment that a city completely founded on the notion of fake gave us in years was real. Yeah, that's right. Was real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so fitting yeah. that Hollywood couldn't deliver something that compelling, although the best picture coda was still better than that moment. But, uh, but still, that, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to... It will it will die down at some point, but I'm amazed. 24 hours later, I, I was watching Morning Joe earlier, and it was one of the first things they talked about. There's a war in Ukraine. There's some <laughs> stuff going on with right. the 45th president right. that uh, has people talking. But uh, let's let's uh, talk about Will Smith and Chris Rock. Let's talk about uh, somebody who maybe would like to slap someone else. Jimmy Garoppolo may want to slap John Lynch after hearing what John Lynch said yesterday about Garoppolo's future. As to the possibility slash inevitability. That Garoppolo will be cut. Lynch told reporters at the league meetings, I don't foresee that. He's too good a player. I think Jimmy will be playing for us or will be playing for someone else. Yeah, that, that, you know, that's truer words have never been spoken. I think Jimmy will be playing for us 
or we'll be playing for someone else. But that really wasn't his point. He's too good of a player not to be. When you make a trade of that magnitude for Trey Lance, most of our options did not include Jimmy on our books, on our team. But you always have to adapt, and a series of events happened that it didn't work out. But that's not a bad thing that we feel positive about. We'll make it work. Look, this is that's a that's a big word salad for saying we overplayed our hand when we could have traded him, and we didn't trade him. So now we're just going to keep him because we don't want to cut him because it'd be embarrassing if we cut him. I feel like that. I, I, I was saying that yesterday. I think on PFTPM, and we may have said it yesterday on PFT Live. So much of what's happening here is covering your ass. Avoiding a bad look, avoiding an embarrassing outcome, right. justifying decisions you've made, and it'll look bad if we cut Jimmy Garoppolo. Not it's in the best interest of our football team to keep him. Not we think he's a better option for us than Trey Lance, who may not be ready yet. No, we haven't traded him, so we're not going to cut him, and they're going to hold on to him apparently until somebody blows out an Achilles tendon somewhere. And they can maybe trade him. Well, how long does that play out? Where's the end game? Is it week one? Where where does that and and what does it do to your team to have a guy around that everybody loves while you're trying to let the other guy develop into becoming the guy that everyone will love in the future? I, I think that they're hurting themselves by trying to justify the decisions they've already made. I, I hear you there, Mike. It does seem like that, you know, from the outside looking in. It, it does, and I, I think you know you also. There's some pride at that, at, you know, at, at hand here. And the, you know, I, I guess maybe being a little bit, I don't want to say selfish or just greedy and thinking they're going to get, you know, something substantial back for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, that, that's what it seems like right now. And you're right. It does seem like they overplayed their hand. And now it's like, oh, wait, we got nothing. So we're just going to sit back and kind of see how this goes and, they don't seem like they're desperate to get him off the books right now. I, it, you know, you look at their roster, their team. Okay, it seems like they got things in place. We know it's a hell of a roster. We talked about the contracts on the horizon as far as Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa, but obviously they feel like that's not affecting that at this point. So yeah, they're going to con- continue to you know, hold Jimmy G or this situation hostage. To get something out of it, because I'm sure, Mike, to your point, when they traded the three picks to get Trey Lance, they thought in their mind one day, master plan, they're going to get some good picks back from Jimmy Garoppolo. Now they're not, it doesn't seem like, and now they're going to be stubborn about it and hold on, you know, and, and they're trying to spin it a lot of different ways. And, hey, he's too good of a player not to. He's not that good of a player. You guys don't want him. You've been trying to get rid of him for two or three years. Stop telling us how good he is, and yet you guys don't want him and have done everything to replace him. And I think people between that, watching film and all that, have realized, like, eh, it's, it's, it's dicey with Jimmy G. It's a risk to bring him in. Well, especially with the shoulder surgery, and that's what Lynch yes. said yesterday. Ultimately, the teams that we were closest with, the surgery gave them pause, and they ended up going in other directions. Yes, the surgery gave them pause for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's his throwing shoulder, and it happened in the postseason in the win over the Cowboys. Number two, he went and got it done without telling anybody. That's the kind of thing where once a guy does that, you're like, well, we're going to employ this guy and we got to worry about these kinds of issues in the future. And that's the thing. It's not a one-year arrangement if you bring in Jimmy G at $25 million. You need to take that contract and turn it into something longer term. Right. If you're going to give up trade assets for Jimmy G, this isn't a rental. This is a, this is a buy. This is a four- or five-year thing. And what has he shown us over the past four or five years to make anyone say we're ready to go all in with Jimmy G, especially if he's got a busted throwing shoulder and he's proven that if he's not real thrilled with what's going on, he'll just go get shoulder surgery off site and not even tell anybody what's happening. That just doesn't bode well for the kind of relationship that the team wants to have with the franchise quarterback. So no. all these things thrown into the same bucket. Well, and, and, and I look at it this way too, Chris. Let's, and I know the Vikings got very desperate in late August, early September of 2016 when Teddy Bridgewater's knee blew out. Right. And I, I don't want to act like it never happens that there's some kind of a freak accident that wipes out a starting quarterback. But it opened the door for the Eagles to unload Sam Bradford for a one and a four to the Vikings and elevate Carson Wentz. At a time when they were telling everybody Bradford's the guy and Wentz is going to sit on the bench. There came the opportunity and they got significant assets and they moved on. 
But even then, even if somebody loses their star, I mean, first of all, it doesn't happen very often no. that a guy in a non-contact practice, which for quarterbacks they always are, right. unless there's some sort of an accident or some sort of a weird turn of events like we saw with Bridgewater, it very, very rarely occurs. Even if that happens, who is going to give up $25 million in salary at that stage? Let's say it happens in late August, like it did to the Vikings. Who's going to say, this guy doesn't know anything about our office, doesn't know anything about our team. We're going to give him $25 million for a one-year Band-Aid because we just happened to lose our start. No, they're going to say next man up. They're going to say next man up. I, I really do believe that. Instead of bringing in Jimmy G that close to the start of the season. So what are they waiting for? Are they waiting for some yeah. kind of a fluke injury now? I mean, it's they have to balance damage to the team in keeping him around and potential benefit that you can say, hey, we finally did get a third-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo in August. I I don't know that it's worth yeah, the risk. The risk, the reward. The known, right. the known risk when the chances of the reward are so slim. Yeah, I'm with you there, too. I agree. The, the, the reward it does seem slim. I mean, it, it seems desperate at this point. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. When you really sit there and look at it, I mean, there's only, you know, Houston, we said it, you know, okay, makes sense. But I could see them going, wait, we're going in a different direction. We're kind of rebuilding our team. We want to see what Davis Mills has. We might draft another quarterback, see where we go from there. They're like starting a, a new thing there in Houston. They're finally, you know, cleansed of Deshaun Watson and that issue. You look at it and you really just read the room. It just seems like there's the Carolina Panthers and that's it. And again, I just can't imagine that they're going to be that desperate to send that many, you know, that many assets or even a third round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo at $25 million, like we talked about, with, okay, they've been burned in two similar situations here. You know, with, with guys where the team didn't want them, okay, we'll take them. We'll see. We, we think we can make it work. All, all right. You know, but, but damn, how many times are you going to do that? That's where it just seems limited. And, yes, it seems right now that the 49ers kind of back themselves into a corner here and have no way out and are just hoping something happens. And I don't think anything's going to happen, to your point. And I think at the end of the day, yes, cutting him is what's going to need to happen. And I'm with you, too. The fact that, hey, just wipe it, wipe the slate clean. Let Trey Lance Harris start. Here we go. Don't have the team wondering if both guys are going to be there or what, how this is going to shake down. Just get it out of everybody's head and have your commander and Trey Lance and you move forward that way. Speaking of Lance, John Lynch said, we're thrilled with what Trey has shown already and where we know he is going to go. The opportunity for growth in the offseason program, that's just vital. Those 10,000 reps, he needs them. He'll have that opportunity this offseason. Well, yeah, because Jimmy G is recovering from shoulder surgery. But still, until Jimmy G is gone, that faction of players in the locker room who are pro-Jimmy G are going to still be there. And it's going to make it harder for them to accept that the team is moving on. It's going to be harder for them. Unless... Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch go to each one of them and make a very compelling case that we're just playing a game here to try to get a draft pick on the back end, that Jimmy G is not coming back. Push comes to shove, we're cutting him. That's the only way to get these guys to even begin to pivot from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance. It's, it's, It's a negative that the players love the guy so much. And it is. It, it creates it creates a, a a cloud over Trey Lance that that really shouldn't be there. It's it it's going to potentially slow his his growth and development and his crafting of relationships that he needs to craft with his teammates, knowing that Jimmy G's still on the roster. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Let, let, let alone like you know, who's to say as Jimmy Garoppolo gets healthy from surgery that he's just going to go, I, I, I don't want to even play for you guys, 49ers. I don't want to be there, which is going to hurt their trade value even more. He's just going to go, I don't want to be there. You get, you made your bed. You got Trey Lance. Go ahead. I don't want to be here. That's going to cause issues as well. Going to lower the value even more. And then teams are going to go, oh, whoa, whoa, wait. I mean, he, he wants out. You guys really going to keep him, the guy that everybody likes in the locker room, with Trey Lance, and then yet he's talking bad about the team because he doesn't want to be there? You know, that, that's, that's the other thing, too. At some point, Jimmy's going to take that stance as well and go, I, I don't want to be a part of this. You guys have been trying to get me out of here for three years. And, see, that's where the 49ers, in my opinion, are a little like, 
you know, I don't want to say hypocritical, or they're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to have they it both ways. They are trying to have it both ways. There's no doubt. You're absolutely right. They're trying to, like, for years kind of go, hey, we're really good, but our quarterback's the problem. We're trying to replace him. We're trying to replace him. We're trying to replace him. And then it's like, okay, we got a new quarterback. Hey, the guy we had was really good. He was really good. He was really good. He wasn't the problem. Did you think I said he was the problem the last time? Oh, no, you must have misheard me. No, no, you've been telling us he's the problem. You've been giving us all the signals, but now you're trying to tell us he's worth a first or a second round pick. And, you know, the public or football people aren't going to buy that. He doesn't work for us, but he'd be really good for you. Yeah, exactly. He'd right. be really good We've for you. We've done everything us, to make him non-existent. <laughs> right. Not for us, but we think that this would be perfect for you. Here's the other reality. and we, we touched on this yesterday, but let's hit it a little more clearly. Yeah. Because Garoppolo doesn't have to be quite as blunt as to say, screw you guys. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be here. Right. It, it all comes down to how they want to try to finesse the offseason and training camp. And while he's on the team, while they're waiting to trade him, once he passes a physical and once he's able to show up and do things, what are they going to do? Are they going to try to nudge him away from doing anything that could cause him to get injured? Yeah, that'd be scary. And then they'd be on the hook for the $25 million? Right. Is he going to go along with that? It's the Steve McNair grievance from 15 15- or so years ago, when the Titans were trying to unload him, he, they ultimately was traded to the Ravens. He had a $10 million cap charge. They didn't want to get stuck with that if he dropped a weight on his foot or had some other injury. So they locked him out of the facility. And he, yeah. he had the NFLPA take the league to arbitration, and the ruling was you can't do that. Right. You can't lock the guy out if he wants to be in there, if he wants to work out, if he wants to be part of things. You can't tell him to stay home. So if Jimmy G wants to push it that way, like, hey, if I'm on the team, I'm showing up. I'm here. Let's go. And uh, it puts him in a position where they have to assume the risk of that. That And that that another example of irony. As the 49ers wait for another team to have – a freak accident that knocks out their quarterback so they can trade Jimmy Garoppolo to that team, the 49ers may have to assume the risk of Jimmy Garoppolo being the one to have that freak accident yeah, and right. tying their hands for $25 million in cash and cap space for all of the 2022 season. Right. That's where, you know, it also, Mike, I just, as you were sitting there explaining it, I mean, just what if Jimmy Garoppolo gets to, you know, July, right? And he starts to throw, oh, man, it doesn't feel normal yet. I don't feel good. Like, that, that can't pass me, a physical. Right. What, what then, then what happens there, right? I mean, then they're going to be on the hook for, for some sort of money or are certainly going to have an issue on their hands nonetheless. To uh, That's another thing here to where yeah, you're gambling by letting this go on. And I don't see, like you said earlier, a, a lot of rewards or, or logic that makes me think, wait, they should wait because this could happen. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something I'm not thinking about. Lynch and Shanahan are smart, but it certainly doesn't pop to the forefront of my brain as we you know, sat here and thought about this the last 24 hours. And, and what would happen if he can't pass a physical? They would – it gets dicey. Yeah. They could – cut him there would be a grievance the injury happened last year he'd be entitled to injury protection up to two million dollars under the cba if they cut him because of an injury from the prior year but it would be messy but but he if he's having trouble throwing they definitely don't keep him on the roster as of week one when the 25 million becomes fully guaranteed and and that's when this ends anyway if they can't find a trade partner by week one that's when you have to move on from it. Unless they really are committed to playing this thing out all the way. If they're commi- I, I can't imagine them paying the guy $25 million to be Trey Lance's backup. I, I can't I, imagine. I can't, I can't either. I can't either. And, and for all the reasons you've stated, Mike, over the last week. You know, just again, you know, most teams that are successful don't have a riff in the locker room between, wait, this guy's our quarterback. Oh, wait, that guy's our quarterback. Wait, we like this one. We like that one. Uh, there is something to that about framing it around one guy and having that guy be the leader there. You know, so the, 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 I, I think you're spot on with that, and I think that's, to me, the biggest risk and would be something where I'd go, wait, we traded all these picks and everything for this guy here. Why, we're, 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 you know, kind of smushing his growth. We're, we're limiting it with, with some of these issues, with Jimmy Garoppolo being around, taking some reps taking some of his thunder, guys seeing him do something good and going, oh, wow, look, Jimmy G still got it. I I wouldn't want any part of that. I wouldn't. And, Mike, here's the other thing, too. 
that I, at least comes into the play in my mind where I just wonder about, you know, at what point does a Nick Bosa or Debo Samuel this offseason go, um, no, I'm pretty good. I'm definitely one of the three or four best players I've had position in the sport. I'm not playing next year until I get my new contract. Like, you know, they've been fortunate, it seems like, and they do a good job of talking to players about these type of situations. But I got to think those type of tough, tough conversations are coming with Debo or Nick Bosa's representation. If I'm either guy, I'm not setting foot on the field anywhere until I get my contract. I'm not doing anything. I'm not showing up for the offseason. I'm not showing up for the mandatory minicamp. I'm not – I'll hold in. I'll do the TJ Watt yeah, where I right. show up and I'm there and I'm right. going to meetings, but I'm not practicing. I'm not putting myself at risk now that I'm in a position where it's time for me to get paid. I'm probably, I'm and, and look at the market at both positions. Yeah. Where the market is at both positions. Bosa can ask for $30 million a year, and Debo can ask for 25, $26, $27 million right, a year. Right. So you, you get rid of Garoppolo, and you got $25 million that falls into your lap. That's yeah. going to take care of one of these guys for one year. Right, right. And, and the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to get those other deals done. All of this because there's some weird, ego-driven... I, I, it's, it seems I, that I can't way. put I'm my finger you. on it. I know, it, you're right. But it, is there something it doesn't feel like a good football decision. It feels like a good, we don't want to be criticized. We don't want it to look bad. We don't want to look like we did something stupid. And they're doing something stupid in order to avoid looking like they're doing something stupid. Yeah, I, maybe. They, maybe they are. You know, Again, maybe there's a part of this plan that we don't know or see or whatever. But it, it does look that way right now. It does. And what I would want to say to my friend or John Lynch is just go, screw it. Move on. You you believe in Trey Lance. That's why you traded for him. Go like at this point, just go forward and start the new era and, and don't worry about it. Don't, you know, drive yourselves crazy about, you know, we need to look good in the public eye for what we get for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think the public expects anything special for Jimmy Garoppolo. So, you know, there's no expectations from the public, I don't think, unless I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. But I don't think anybody's sitting here going, well, the 49ers should get a first or a second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, every time that report comes out, I feel like most people in sports media are like, that's crazy, or they should take that. What are they, crazy? So, uh, I don't think there's great expectations or pressure around the situation necessarily. I don't think it's about the fans as much as it's about how they're perceived among the football world, the football world, yeah. the media who understands what's going on. Yeah. I think they they are allowing their ego as it relates to how those folks would react to get in the way of making good decisions. And, you know, with Trey Lance, the thought that I have from time to time is yeah. this because I've I've articulated this as it relates to other quarterbacks. If you have a guy that you hope is eventually going to win a Super Bowl for you, this is the kind of thing he should be able to process and work through. He should thrive in a situation like this. But this feels too self-inflicted. This isn't just like Tua last year. Dolphins looking to get a major upgrade over Tua. And, hey, Tua, if you don't like the Deshaun Watson talk, go out there and kick ass and take names and prove to them why they shouldn't want Deshaun Watson. This is we've already gone out to get the upgrade. You're our upgrade, but we've got this other relationship that's unresolved that is impairing the ability of the upgrade to get comfortable, to get acquainted right. and develop the right relationships with his teammates. Like right. We're holding you back for dumb reasons because we're still clinging to the guy that you're supposed to be replacing this would be like the Dolphins getting Deshaun Watson but then saying yeah you know we kind of like Tua or 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 I was thinking as you explained this like the Kansas City Chiefs going you know we're gonna keep Alex Smith around just a little longer because we don't like what we, we thought we were gonna get more and be like why why start the new era if you're sold on it let's go you know Kansas City did it the right way I mean to your point I think that's what we're talking about here where they they made it clear all the all along like this is Alex Smith last year. We traded these picks to move up to get Mahomes. It'll be it. This is 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 it. Oh, the season's over. That was it. See you later. Good job getting us to the playoffs. But we could do better with the other guy. Uh, that That's the way the 49ers should have. They haven't played it that way. And like I think we said earlier, they, they're kind of trying to have it both ways with this one. Here's the one difference, though, potentially. Yeah. And we don't know the answer to this question. And this may be, this may be in a clumsy roundabout way the truth. The Chiefs knew 
in 2017 what Patrick Mahomes was going to be. You're right. They did. Do the 49ers know what they have in Trey know. Lance? I don't know yet. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. I think that's real. I think if, if they you, if yeah. they knew if they knew they were trotting out a guy that as of week one 2022 right. is gonna is gonna light it up and that's all we're gonna be talking about the following week. Oh boy, Trey Lance. Oh boy, here we go. Oh, the next big thing in the NFL. That's different. I'm not so sure that they know. And maybe one of the reasons they don't know is they had Jimmy Garoppolo hang around all sure. last year. Right, right. I, 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 when I, it looked like yeah. at the time he wasn't going to be there. I mean, a year ago, when they did the trade, right around now, maybe in, uh, close to a year ago to the day, when they did that trade to move up to get that third overall pick, and we didn't know what they were going to do with it a right. month later, the initial thought was, see you later, Jimmy. Yeah. They're keeping him? Wait a minute. You've, you're going to give up three first-round picks and the third-round pick to get a quarterback, and you're keeping this guy around? It just, the whole thing about it, it's made no sense from the get-go. And I still believe they blew some sort of a fuse when they saw Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes playing against each other in the Super Bowl, knowing they passed on Mahomes in 2017, and they said no to Tom Brady a year earlier, and they had to look at both of those guys playing in the Super Bowl. I think they got desperate, they freaked out, and they, they, they made a bad move, a bad trade to ensure that they would get their pick of quarterback after Tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Yeah. And I, and I and still the, don't even the believe the day, they made that trade it. going for Trey Lance. I mean, you can tell me whatever you want. I'll never believe it. I, I, I'm still going to go to my grave going, no, they made that trade you for know, Mac Jones. You and, know things. Well, you know things. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm saying you know things. Well, I don't know how far you want to go, but you know, you, you, haven't, you wouldn't have been saying that for the last year if you didn't know something. Well, I, I've, I've, I've had a lot of, yeah, a lot of people come out of the woodworks and go, I mean, yo, man, hey, your friend. Oh, we think, we, hey, well, we think it was Mac Jones, too. Oh, well, well, we thought it was Mac Jones. I mean, yes, I've, I've had a lot of people come to me with evidence. To think that was it doesn't the, have to be Kyle telling no, you. No, I know that's no. what everybody thinks. Exactly right. I guess I wish everybody would realize that I've been around the NFL my whole life. I have more than one friend in the league. Um, but like, yeah, uh, yes, I, I, that's what I believe it is. It's two. Somewhere they blew book <laughs> two. They blew a gasket <laughs> in the pressure of that situation. And yes, here we are today, and we're, they're still dealing with this quarterback situation and haven't figured it out. And and I don't know where it goes, but I don't see it being totally. Like, overly positive for the 49ers when all said and done here. And uh, I think Jimmy Garoppolo has a lot of the power in this situation with, with the current situation. And if you're Garoppolo, you got to look at it and you got to be thinking, screw you guys. I almost uh, yeah. got you to the Super Bowl. Right. I almost, but for my own failures, I would have gotten you to the Super Bowl. So, um, oh, well, between him and Baker Mayfield, who the hell knows what's going to happen. And, and at some point this morning, there will be coming up, the NFC coaches breakfast at Palm Beach where Kyle Shanahan will grumble his way through (laughs) a few answers to questions about Jimmy Garoppolo unless he doesn't show up. And if I were him, you know, they do that reception on Monday night. Maybe he, maybe he, Oversleeps this morning, right? Uh, I mean, is it, is it, is it mandatory? Those coaches got to be at that breakfast in the morning. Is that one of those like NFL mandated things? I, I think if Belichick was there, I guess up, so. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they'll, they'll huff and they'll puff a little bit. And are they really do anything to anybody? I mean, they did more to Will Smith. So, uh, all right. The Steelers also are unsettled at the quarterback position. And they were one of the teams that at one point, a few weeks ago, I thought, hey, well, the Colts, the Saints, and the Steelers, there's going to be a yeah. bidding war for Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Until each team found its own solution and John Lynch said himself the shoulder surgery scared these teams off. It looked like they were going to get something for Garoppolo, but the Steelers still looking for answers at quarterback. Here's Mike Tomlin on entering the offseason program, not really knowing who their quarterback will be come week one. I'm really excited by it. I'm energized by it. I, I love the anxiety associated with uncertainty. I think it brings the best out in me. And I think it's going to bring the best out in us. I'm, uh, at least I'm hopeful that it will. I'm comfortable with the talent that we have at the position now. And that's not saying that I'm not open to adding to it as we move forward. They've made no secret of their interest in these rookie quarterbacks. That's right. Show up for the pro day workouts. Yeah. and. They're sitting there at number 20. and See, that's why I think that if there's a guy they really like, they're not going to sit there. They're going to move up. 
Kevin Colbert, the GM of the team, downplayed that possibility. That's yeah. fine. That's that's what you need to do. So you don't so you don't have people pegging higher than twenty if they want to get the guy that they think the Steelers want. But the Steelers have shown in the past, Troy Polamalus, Antonio Holmes, Devin Bush, they'll move up yeah. to get the guy they want. Yeah, no, no question. They de- if they decide that there's a guy there that's going to be their next franchise quarterback, they will move up to get him. Because like Ron Rivera said, as it relates to Matthew Stafford last year, nobody's going to remember what the Rams gave up to get him. So if there's a guy that the Steelers love, they'll go get him. And if they don't make that move, I think we can conclude there isn't a guy that they really love among the incoming class of rookies. Right, right. Or, or you know, again, I could see one of them, they, them reading the room a little bit and going, wait, this team doesn't need a quarterback. This team, maybe, maybe they can sit back. You know, it's a year where I don't think it's a guarantee we're going to have like three guys go in the top 20. I would say that for for my money, Pickett, Corral, Willis are, are top twenty picks. I think they're more talented than other guys in other years who have gone in the top twenty. That's what I would say. But that's the hey, that's the good thing about what the Pittsburgh Steelers did with Trubisky. It gives them a little flexibility to kind of do whatever they want here. You know, oh wait, the quarterback we likes on the board at fifteen. All right, let's go get him. Oh yeah, hey, it's you know it's Malik Willis. We we might want to put him on the bench for the year. He's a little raw, right? But we got he's got big end, you know, big time talent. Okay, we got Trubisky to kind of be that guy to hold it over. All right, I mean if they don't get the quarterback like you said, and there's nobody there that they do like. All right, they got Trubisky. He's got talent and potential. You see where it goes, and you reassess, you know, as the season goes along, and and you go you just kind of play it by ear that way. So they they've given themselves options, and where they're sitting at at twenty. Yeah, they're they're in a decent spot, like like you said, to where they might be able to make a move up to get into the early teens or something like that. If one of these quarterbacks they like is sitting there, you know, you said it. He's been at the corral. He was at the Malik Willis workout. Uh, Mike Mike Tomlin in years past, when he's been at quarterback workouts, there's usually legitimate interest. Like my dad, he brought it up to me the last week. He's like, you know, Mike Tomlin. I remember he was standing right behind Mason Rudolph. You know, they they got Mason Rudolph. I remember he was with Josh with Josh Dobbs down in Tennessee. They went and got Josh Dobbs. So we'll see. They certainly aren't hiding their intentions like you talked about. Yeah, the only problem is they don't scout quarterbacks nearly as well as they scout receivers. That's, I mean, other than Roethlisberger, think about the guys they've drafted since Ben Roethlisberger, and they will draft mid-round quarterbacks from time to time. Wasn't Mason Rudolph a second-round pick? He was a second-round, I believe, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. They, they haven't exactly done, for all the things they do right, when it's time to pick a receiver and Kevin Colbert and company have been masterful at that all the way back to Antonio Brown with a sixth round pick in 2010. They've had other guys over the year, Mike Wallace, who was a mid round pick. I think a third rounder, maybe Uh, that they've found some great receivers in the draft, but they have not been able to find competent, even backup quarterbacks. I mean, you know, Landry Jones was there for a little while, but yeah, I, no, you know, they had Charlie Batch, who was a good, you know, not, but but nothing. Well, you're that right. was a guy. That was a guy they signed before Roethlisberger and was there forever. Right, forever. Right. He went from starter with the Lions in uh, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, two thousand, two thousand one-ish, and then landed with the Steelers in two thousand two. That was one of our first big scoops back in the early days of PFT, where we reported the Steelers were bringing Charlie Batch in for a visit. And people were like, what the hell? He's a starting quarterback. Why is he coming in? Why do they want him? Or whatever year it was, he went from being started a willing backup of the Steelers and uh, was there for a long time. But, oh, my gosh, here are the guys they've drafted since Roethlisberger. Mason Rudolph, Joshua Dobbs, Landry Jones, Dennis Dixon, who I thought had a lot of potential. Yeah, He had that torn ACL at right. Oregon that derailed his career. Omar Jacobs. Before that, it was Brian St. Pierre, T. Martin, one of the Brady Six, Spence Fisher, and then all the way back to Cordell Stewart in 1995. But it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. It's the most important position on the field. And they went 20 years between Terry Bradshaw, the original TB12, and Ben Roethlisberger. And they, they somehow went to the playoffs a lot. They did. Went to a Super Bowl once yeah. with a revolving door of relative no-names at quarterback. And maybe maybe they're just content to try that again. But you know what? Here's what I keep coming back to. 10% drop in viewership last year in Pittsburgh. No shows at Heinz Field. You need people to show up and pay for overpriced parking and food and beer and stuff. They, they, they need to do something. They need to do something to address this quarterback position. And it may be as simple as Baker Mayfield. You know, step one draft, and if it doesn't work out at the draft, 
that Mayfield possibility is still going to linger. Yeah, maybe it will. Maybe it will. I, you know, again, I, I think they, they like Trubisky as far as his skill set. You know, everything we heard last year, Matt Canada wants that quarterback that can run. Like, we've, we've discussed that. They want to do a little more movement with the quarterback. Uh, but you, you look here, Mike, at the draft, and I'm just looking here, you know, pick by pick, first round. We know the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Seahawks. They, they need quarterbacks. Uh, they're, they're picking there at six, eight, and, and nine. But once you kind of get out of that area right there, you know, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a slam dunk that those teams take quarterbacks right there at those picks. I don't. I could see maybe, you know, somebody trading down and trying to go a little lower. But you, once you get into the teens a little bit there, you go, well, nobody needs a quarterback. And that's where, you know, Pittsburgh might get lucky to where somebody could drop down or they might be able to make the move there. I mean, the Texans are the only team you look at from 10, you know, to other than the Saints, 10 to 20. The Saints and the Texans are the only two teams you look at there that could go. Maybe they could make a quarterback move. They, they could maybe. But we got to worry about what you got to worry right. about is after. Yes. You got to worry about who's going to come up behind. I hear you. And, because you know, the Steelers yes. are planning that flag of we're looking quarterback at 20. So if there's a guy you like that you think we may like, you better jump us. That's what makes me think that they may need to jump someone else. They might. You know, you have the team like Detroit who's got pick 32 and pick 34, right? They'll be able to make a move and, and trade some picks up if they got to get into the teens. So they're, they're going to have two, two picks to play with. That would be something that worried me. You know, and then I guess, you know, like you talked about, I mean, whether that's the, the Panthers or the Seahawks putting a package together to jump up, you know, in front of them at 20, or maybe they trade back, like we talked about, you know, from nine or six and try to sit there and see better value at taking a quarterback there. So we'll see. I don't think anybody's got a great feel for the overall draft yet and how some of these guys are going to be valued and what positions are going to go off the board, you know, early. Uh, it'll be interesting. But I, th- I think the Steelers, I-, I just feel like Malik Willis is on their radar. He makes sense. He does. I think he's got a style of play that's very intriguing and has a wow factor to it, to your point, to sell the tickets and all that. And if they want to run the quarterback and do you know, a little bit of the pulling guard Josh Allen stuff, Malik Willis is very natural and strong enough, and you saw those legs, to where he can do it and be pretty damn good at it. And even if they stick with Trubisky, yeah. is that an upgrade over – Shell of himself, Ben Roethlisberger. I, yes, year. I'm going to say yes, and I don't say that lightly because I think a hell of a, I think a lot of Big Ben. But yes, Trubisky's arm is going to be stronger than Big Ben, and then of course his ability to move and do things in the pocket is greater than Big Ben. And then Mike, like we talked about too, so many times, you know, Big Ben got at that age of his career where. You know, we talk about with Brady a little bit, where it just he wasn't willing to stand in there and take the shot for the guy to come open down the field. Uh, that's why we uh, every pass was three yards, three yards, three yards, three yards, three yards, three yards. Yes, the offense was like that. Yes, he was getting them to plays like that. And yes, I think there was a little bit of an unwillingness to sit there and take the punishment for the big play down the field. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. The NFL dealing with the Brian Flores lawsuit, as we explained yesterday. There will be two more individuals joining that very soon. The league doing what it can to increase diversity among the coaching ranks. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There it is, 28 of the coaches. In attendance, uh, Phil Belichick never shows up for the class photo. He never shows up for it. It must not be mandatory because he's not there. It changed a lot from the last time they did it. They haven't done it for three years. A lot of names on there, a lot of faces on there where you look at it and say, I know Chris, I looked at it yesterday, I'm like, who? wait, who is that? It's just a bizarre development when there's that much turnover in the NFL. Ken Carmen pointed out that Mike McDaniel looks like Kevin Stavansky's son. <laughs> it's Father's Sunday at the league meetings. Big Cat said, Get, guess which guy won a Super Bowl and which guy had Sam Darnold 
as the starting quarterback. Oh, my <laughs> That's horrible. Hey, hey, Matt Rule's going to slap Big Cat the next time he sees him. But see, that's funny. That's funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, those are the NFL's coaches. And, look, one of the realities, you look at that that uh, class of, of coaches, and there are only two blackhead coaches, and that's something the NFL is trying to remedy in a variety of ways. By the way, Bill Belichick, Dan Campbell wasn't there. Dan Campbell's ill. Bruce Arians wasn't in the photo. Mike McCarthy wasn't present. He didn't show up for the meetings at all. I don't think he wanted to be asked a bunch of questions this morning about Sean Payton. All right. Well, the NFL is required an expansion of the Rooney rule. Every team must have a minority or female offensive assistant coach for the 2022 season. My first reaction when I saw that is, there are teams that don't. Are there real? Are there really teams that don't have, in the entire small army of offensive coaches, at least one minority or female coach at this point in 2022? Are you telling me that there's at least a team out there that doesn't? I was stunned by the possibility, because you, well, there's got to be what 10, 12 offensive coaches. Is that yeah. is that a fair number? Yeah. And you're telling me there are teams that don't have a minority or a female in that spot now, given where we are in 2022? I I would doubt that. I would doubt that, right? I mean, I know this is uh, out there, but I don't know if it necessarily means that nobody does have that. I could see that there's probably plenty of teams, of course, that don't have a female assistant. That's for sure. I would have a hard time. uh, And just, you know, again, I'm going off the top of my head thinking that there's not at least somebody, female or minority, on on the roster that way on both sides of the ball you know like you said first off 2022 you know it's this day and age the young coaches we got in football right now you know the cool thing about the young coaches of the McVeighs the Shanahan's and some of this you know the the, the color barrier the minor I think it's not even become a thing because it, it's not a thing with the younger generation that that's for sure but uh, I'm with you Mike I, I would have a, I would have a hard time thinking that there's not at least one on every team Coaches hired under this policy will sign a one-year deal and be paid from a league-wide fund. That reminds me a bit of what they considered doing a couple of years ago where they were going to give compensatory draft picks to teams that hire minority coaches or general managers. It's an extra little, like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, do you deserve to be here? Right. It stigmatizes the person who gets the job. It oh, does. that's somebody who's, oh, they're paid by the league-wide fund. That's not somebody we actually hired. That's what the others in the workplace will say or think. Or the person who has that job is going to be wondering, is that how they view me? I'm not somebody the team hired and is paying out of its own pocket. I'm somebody who's presence is being subsidized by this broader league fund i don't like that aspect what's of the it. benefit of and, it mike like what why, why why would the league do that what, why but, not to, ju- i i don't just tell them to hire i know it's I mean, nothing when it's you, pennies for when you, this exactly this exactly it stigmatizes unnecessarily the position and it allows the person to feel on their way through the door i'm different than the other coaches. Yeah. I'm here under different circumstances. Right. I'm really not part of the coaching staff. I mean, that's how I would feel if I, I was I think that's real. added under that kind of a, a, an arrangement where I'm not being paid by the billionaire who just slid off of his super yacht and, oh, this, this guy can't pay me directly? I got to be paid by a league-wide fund? That's, that's, how, that's how hard it is to get people to have diverse coaching staffs when there's plenty of applicants and plenty of qualified individuals for these jobs. I don't like that part of it. I think that's a mistake. That's tone deaf in my view. That's as tone deaf as the suggestion a couple of years ago that you're going to give a team draft picks for hiring a black coach or a black GM because then the coach of the GM's like, did they, wait, so I'm I'm here because they wanted a few extra draft picks. Yeah, no, I I, I think it's fair certainly to think that yes, if you're an employer and then you're employed by the, the league and not the team and you're going in the team office every day, how do you not feel, a little insecure about your situation. And then, yes, you're, you're right. Some coaches, again, most not, but they're going to be, you know, out of the corner of their eye going, oh, they really deserve to be here. They, we didn't even hire them. The league is like well, making a – now, the, the most co- coaches are great, and they always – again, I'm, I'm just trying to say there's going to have a few with those thoughts, like you're saying, and I, I don't understand the approach by the league on this one. Just force the teams to hire one every team and just, you know, and, and- do it. 
let, let's think about what the goal is here. The goal is to cultivate talent. So you want to bring someone in who would otherwise have not had an opportunity, who will have an opportunity to grow, to shine, to flourish, and to catch the attention of others, whether with that team or somewhere else. That's how a career develops in any setting. Somebody who otherwise wasn't there shows up. Hey, I, I like what this person's doing. This person is showing a high aptitude for the job. We should give this person more responsibility and see whether or not they thrive or fail. That's how it works. You get a little more, oh, doing even better. Hey, let's, let's, let's do different. Yeah, that's how, but, so if it's somebody who is forced on a head coach, not even paid out of the normal payroll, it's just even harder for that person to come in and make a difference. It's harder for that person to come in and compete with the people who are officially there. Because you know it's very competitive, and you know they're very catty. Oh, extreme. Extremely. Oh, I'm doing – who's doing – who's – who do coach? Oh, well, let me – is the catty? Is that to me or is that to him? Is that me? You're exactly right. That's me. Coach likes me, not him. Coach likes me. Right. Right? No, it's it's as catty and insecure and as, you know, competitive as any business in the world. I mean, you know, again, in New England – when I was working on the staff, none of the coaches really wanted to talk to me or be friends with you. It was like a competitive, like, well, this guy's coming up the ranks. Screw him. As soon as I left there, oh, Chris, we loved having you here. Let's stay in touch. And I talked to them way more now than I did when I was, you know, next to them in an office, seeing them every day. Because it was more cutthroat than, oh, you know. I mean, you're not trying to take what they have. Tr- exactly. You're not trying to take what they're trying to exactly. get if you're not working with exactly. them. Exactly. So there is, that, there is that aspect, and that's real to your point, too, Mike, about this whole situation and setup which yeah i don't i don't quite understand why they're doing hey, it this way you know what you, you know what you want, I, I said this yesterday i'm going to say it again today you want to fix the problem you want to have a more diverse group of coaches who can come in and get opportunities and flourish get rid of nepotism don't let bill belichick hire his kids don't let any of these coaches hire their kids because these jobs are going to people who are qualified by dna they're qualified because dad feels guilty. Cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Dad wasn't around when the kid was growing up. And now the kid's grown up and dad can make up for 18 years, 20 years of lost time. And they work elbow to elbow. It's one of the reasons why it happens. It is. The coach gets a chance to spend 20 hours a day with the kid when the coach spent 20 minutes a day with the kid at most when the kid was growing up. It's the ultimate guilt assuaging technique for a parent who realizes I did a crappy job of parenting because I was so obsessed with my career. And now I can have my kid become equally obsessed with his or her career and neglect his family too. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm telling, and, and, and I, I was, I don't know. It's that, a real thing. You're right. It's a real it's, thing. I don't know how you solve it. That's because you know what happens? Yeah. If, if, if the Patriots say no more Belichick children working on the coaching staff, you know what happens? Josh McDaniels hires him. That's what happens. Well, that, and then yes. Bill Belichick hires Josh McDaniel's kids. Yeah, yes, right. That, that that's what's going to go on. You're right. There's no question. I mean, and and yes, the the nepotism and the family ties and you know the bloodlines and all that. Yeah, it's a real thing in the NFL. It's like we talked about yesterday. It's not that I think the owners are racist or don't want to hire black people. It's just they're deep rooted in the you know the family trees and and the roots that. All these, some of these old coaches have laid down in the NFL where it's generational. It's third, fourth generation. And, Mike, it is. It's a tough situation to fix. You're right. I think if you d- said no no family members, then, yes, it would be crossover family members. Everybody would be doing favors for each other that way. And at the same time, too, listen, I, it, it, in, in ways where you look at it and go, well, he's not qualified. He shouldn't be in that. You know, for every kid we could say that who gets hired by their dad, I could also go, well, here's a kid that's obsessed and he's, it's the family business and he loves it and it, and it's worked out the right way, you know? So th- that's where it's tough to draw the line of right. deserve right. or anything like that as well. Kyle Shanahan. Exactly. By the way, who is late, late for the. <laughs> oh, shocker. <laughs> shocker. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Kyle Shanahan was uh, the proverbial sponge growing up yes loved it right and and not not intimidated by it understands it he got a phd in football right by virtue of who his dad was exactly so there's value in it there and also from the coach's standpoint it's not just making up for lost time you got to trust people 
A hundred percent. And if you can't trust your kids, right? <laughs> if you can't trust your kids, you can't trust anybody. You're good luck trusting anybody. <laughs> right. So that's part of it too. And it it, and and really, the other side of it. And I and look, my my son. I don't want to go too far into the Florio family story here, but my son is very resistant to the idea of doing anything with PFT because he doesn't want to be accused of nepotism. It's like, son, yeah, I own the business. Right. I'm not getting you a job at the place where I work. I own this joint. Yes, I know. And see, at a, at a at a football team, you got you got Bob Kraft with Jonathan, who's eventually going to take over and probably do as well, if not better, than Bob. Oh, it's family business. It's fa- but there's nepotism, but it's family business. So there's a certain hypocrisy, I think, in the idea that the owner is going to have his kids working there. Right. But the coach can't have his kids working there. Yeah. Well, the difference is the owner owns. Right. The coach is an employee. The owner owns. And what's the owner going to do? What's the owner going to do? You're just going to say, I'm not going to teach any of the business. So when I die, you're either going to be clueless <laughs> yeah. or you got to sell the team. Or I can groom you now to take over what really is your birthright. I own it. It's your birthright. It's not Bill Belichick's kid's birthright to come coach for the Patriots because he just works for Robert Kraft. And I don't know why more owners are willing to say that. I don't know why they won't just say that. Here's Hey, Bill, here's why you can't hire your kids and why I can. I own the place. If there's any confusion there, I don't know what else to tell you. I own the place. You don't. No, That's no. why. You're right. I mean, everything you say is right. But I think also what you said earlier comes into play here too. You know, in the fact that, you know, the coach, yes, it's it's a family member. You know, they feel like, hey, we can trust them. They're going to they're gonna hire the people they can trust that way. The owner wants the coach to feel comfortable in their work environment. He wants them to, hey, stay here and work all day. Oh, you got your son here. He's here. Look, you're, you're doing good. It's Your family's here. Stay here all day. Keep working. Figure out a new two-minute offense. So th- that's why the owners, I think, bow down to it too because, of course, they want a good environment for their coach and the coaching staff and everybody happy in that department. One other thing the league did yesterday, let's mention this very briefly. Yeah. They issued a statement encouraging ownership groups to have diversity, and they made it clear that the ownership groups with diversity, specifically with minority controlling owners who would be taking over when a team is sold, they will get special recognition or favor from the membership when it's time to get 24 people to vote in favor of the winning bid. You know, a couple of problems. One Money still drives this bus. So the highest bidder, especially like with the Broncos, it's being sold by a trust. They have a fiduciary obligation to sell it to the highest bidder. So money is always going to rule out here. Number two, okay, so you get one or two or three teams with a majority owner who is black. What is that going to solve as to the other teams who have for years been not doing things the way they should? What's that going to do? It's not going to do much at all. It's not going to change anything. And maybe the NFL thinks we just need to make as many tiny little changes as we can, and eventually it'll snowball. It may take decades, but eventually it'll snowball into something that doesn't cause the problems we're currently dealing with. But this this is more symbolic than anything. I don't know that it's going to change much in practice. Uh, Because, number one, again, it's going to be driven by money when it's time to sell a team. And, number two... If you get one or two or three black ownership groups or black majority owners, that that's that's just a drop in a broader bucket. It is. It's a drop, but I I, I look at it like you know, kind of how you're talking about. Like they're trying to break the ice here. They're just trying to get a get the snowball rolling here, so it can get some momentum and and go downhill and and like you said, hopefully grow. I would think that's it. But like I again, yeah, I don't I don't understand the. You know, what, it would be looked upon favorably. And, well, the team, the guy that's selling the team's going to go, wait, the most favorable thing is the one that has more billions in it. I'll, I'll take that offer. Yes, I like the diversity in this group, but it's not reaching this, reaching this offer, which has no diversity. And, of course, that's where ownership's going to go when you're selling something. So I don't really understand that either. Yeah, it's going to help you win a tie. But yeah, maybe there that's isn't right. A tie, right. Yeah, if there gotcha. isn't a tie, it's right. not going to matter. Right. It's not going to matter. The the biggest off, and that that's what bothers me about NFL ownership. It's not about how much you care about the sport, how much you care about 
the team, how much you know about the sport, how much you know about the team. All that matters is how big of a bag of cash are you bringing to the party? That's it. That's it. You could be the worst person in the world, but if you have more cash than anyone else that you're willing to devote to buying that team, welcome to the club. Now, I, 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 I still think they will have limits, but there's a certain amount of money that you can't deny, and you're going to buy your way into the club if you really want to. Let's go ahead and take a break. Some of the coaches present for the NFC Coaches Breakfast and saying some things. We may have some updates on key points of interest, and we'll let you know whether or not Kyle shows up. More PFT Live right <laughs> after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America. 